Let's turn in God's Word this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5. Read the Word of the Lord. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that, whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men that we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, It is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then were all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, Though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now, henceforth, know we Him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. 
that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Thus far we read God's holy and an errant word. May God add His blessing upon the reading of His holy scriptures. The text for the sermon this morning is the 17th verse of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the original language in which this verse was written, Greek, there is lacking from the first half of the verse the inclusion of any verbs. It would read quite literally this way, Therefore, if any man in Christ, new creature. It is a short and a succinct exclamation of what God does for us. A proclamation of praise unto God. If any man in Christ, new creature. Lacking the presence of verbs in the original, they must be added then by the translator. And there are different ways then in which these verbs could be added here. Some, King James being one example, includes the verbs to be here. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. It states it as a matter of fact. So if you look into King James, you see then that those verbs are italicized. If any man be, be is italicized as well as he is, which shows that this is the translator's interpretation of how this could be understood. There's another way in which it could be translated, and that, beloved, is as an injunction as a commandment. It would be translated this way, if any man be in Christ, let him be a new creature. If you are in Jesus Christ, then there is this commandment that comes to you. You are to behave and you are to walk as a new creature. And in this particular situation, I do not believe that it is either or. That it's either it is to be understood as a state, a state of being, or it is to be translated as an injunction and a commandment. But rather, I believe it is both. It is a statement of fact. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. What a wonder that that's true. But then knowing that we are new creatures in Christ, there comes then the commandment, behave as a new creature. New creatures 
in Christ. First, we'll look at the fact of it. Second, the calling that arises out of that fact. And in that second point, notice especially the application for us as parents. And then the third point, look at that word behold and consider the wonder of this. Behold, all things are become new. question that the Holy Spirit gives to you and to me to consider this morning. Are you in Christ? As this text says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. This is a question for each and every one of you to consider personally. The question is not right now whether our children are in Christ. Certainly we desire that. And we who are believing parents have no greater joy than to know that our children are in Christ. But that's not the starting point for us as parents. Before we can be concerned about whether our children are in Christ, there is the question that you and I face on a very personal level, are you in Christ? You understand the seriousness and the importance of considering this question of whether or not you are in Jesus Christ. The text says, if you are in Jesus Christ, then you are a new creature. If you are in Jesus Christ, then you may have confidence as you stand in relationship to God, knowing that God approves of you, knowing that God loves you, and knowing that God, for Jesus' sake, takes you unto Himself. Are you in Christ? But alternatively, what is true if you are not in Christ? If you are not in Christ, then you are not a new creature, but you remain an old creature and will be judged as an old creature. Verse 10 speaks of that judgment. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. If you are not in Christ, you will be judged as an old creature, and you will be condemned as an old creature. Are you, beloved, in Christ? How may we even know if we are in Christ? How is it possible for us to evaluate this? It is, we understand, a spiritual reality. To be in Jesus Christ is to speak of a spiritual relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. 
But Jesus Christ isn't on this earth. Jesus Christ has ascended up into heaven and He sits at God's right hand. And so how can we even evaluate whether we are in Jesus Christ? It's far easier, is it not, to evaluate physical things. Children can understand what it means physically to be in something. Children are told, be in the car at this time, otherwise we're going to be late for church. Children can understand what that means. Students in high school and in college understand what it means to be in attendance. You have to be physically present in the classroom, otherwise you'll be marked absent. And if that happens too often, then you run the risk of failure. We understand physically what it means to be in or involved in something, but what now is this spiritual reality of being in Jesus Christ? How do we evaluate this? We may know, beloved, whether we are in Christ or not. We do not need to wonder we do not need to say, well, because it's a spiritual reality that the, visible, that the earthly eye cannot visibly see, therefore, I may never know with 100% certainty. No, we may know whether we are in Christ. And the way in which we know whether we are in Christ is by looking at who this man, Jesus Christ, is is. Christ is the word used here in this text. If any man be in Christ, and Christ speaks, the name Christ speaks of the official position that Jesus held while He walked upon this earth. Christ is the title that was given unto our Savior. And we understand, we remember that as Jesus Christ was anointed into office, given that title of Christ, He was given then a threefold office. And so who is Christ? Well, Jesus Christ is our prophet. That's the first office to which Jesus Christ was anointed. As our prophet, Jesus Christ is one who knows and who understands the will of God and then who as the perfect communicator reveals unto us what is that holy and good will of God. Are you in Christ? That is, do you know God as Jesus Christ reveals God unto you? And then Christ, the second office of Jesus Christ is that of priest. And as priest, Jesus Christ is the mediator of God, the one who takes sinful people and draws them unto God through His own finished work. Verse 21, Jesus Christ was made to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Are you in Christ? That is to say, beloved, are you covered with the blood of Jesus Christ who is our priest? 
And then the third office to which Christ is anointed. King. The King who rules over all things. And this can be hard for us as Christians. It's one thing to have Jesus be a teacher who instructs us. It's another to have Jesus be a mediator who delivers us. But it's another matter to have Jesus Christ as King who tells you what to think, what to believe, whom to worship, whom not to worship. It's another thing to have Jesus Christ as King who will be judge. And who according to the 10th verse sits on the judgment seat before whom we all must appear. The question now is, are you in this man, Christ? In Him. To be in Christ is to be in a relationship with Christ. It is to have a living union with this man, Jesus Christ. It is to have an intimate and an unbreakable bond with Jesus Christ. Are you in Him, beloved? When you wake up in the morning, is it the desire of your heart to live as one who is in Jesus Christ? Living in Jesus Christ is different, and let this be clear, it's different than living near Unto Jesus Christ. The question of this text is not, are you close to Jesus Christ? Do you come near unto Jesus Christ? But are you in Jesus Christ? The question of this text is not simply, do you observe Jesus Christ? Do you behold some of the wonderful works that Jesus Christ has done and perhaps to some degree are even impressed with the power and the might of what Jesus Christ has performed. It's not simply a historical faith whereby one confesses, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ did some mighty and some miraculous deeds while He walked upon this earth. But the question is, are you in Him? So that according to Acts 17, in Him we live and move and have our being. Is there that unbreakable bond by which you are one with Christ and drink of Him as the water of life? text tells us what is true of the one who is in Christ, the one who is in Christ, is a new creature. No small change occurs when one is a new creature, made to be a new creature in Christ. For us to understand the reality of what it means to be a new creature in Christ, we have to start by understanding something of what it means to be an old creature. The text distinguishes these two. 
Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. What's the old as compared to the new? It's not simply giving here an indication of the number of years that one has lived on this earth. A baby, by being new to this earth, is not automatically a new person. And it's not that old here simply refers to somebody who's been on this earth for a long, long time, an old individual. But the old and the new here speaks of the old man of sin in comparison to the new man in Christ. The old creature is what we are by nature. And for us to be able to appreciate the change from the old to the new, let's look at how the baptism formula describes this old man. It's a beautiful confession that we make here in the baptism formula, found on page 86 in the back. It gives us a description of what we are by Nature, right at the outset here, first, that we with our children are conceived and born in sin. That's who the old man is, conceived and born in sin. If we were to stand before that judgment seat of God apart from the work of Christ, the verdict would be guilty. And we would be condemned as guilty not, first of all, because of our actual sins. Not, first of all, because we have gone out and willfully transgressed against the commandments of God. But we would be condemned as guilty because of our nature. The child, the young infant, is not yet capable of having thoughts of Rebellion against God and against God's commandments. And yet that child is sinful. Why is the child sinful? Because of the hereditary disease which is passed down from Adam to each succeeding generation. This is us in our old state. And then the form goes on, and therefore our children of Wrath. That's us as an old creature. We're children of wrath. And the idea here of being an old creature, or rather of being children of wrath, isn't so much that we are children who are prone to wrath, though that is true, that by nature we are inclined to hate both God and the neighbor. But that's not so much the meaning here of the baptism formula when it says that we are children of wrath. Rather, when it says that we are children of wrath, it means that we are children who are the objects or the recipients of wrath. That because we and our children are conceived and born in sin, therefore we justly are hated and would be hated apart from Jesus Christ. 
Paul speaks of this in Romans, Romans chapter 9, that we are vessels of wrath, fitted unto destruction. It cuts to the quick. When we consider the fact that this is what we are by nature, those who deserve to be hated by God. And the baptism formula goes on in so much that we cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That's us. And that's our children by nature. There were the flaming cherubim who barred Adam and Eve from paradise. And there stands Jesus Christ at the judge, as judge at God's right hand who bars anyone from entering into the kingdom of God who has the least sin tied to him or her. There is no entrance into the kingdom of God for us by nature. And it's not just that we're barred from the kingdom of God in so much that we cannot enter into the kingdom of God, but this also is true of us according to our old creature. We don't even want to be in the kingdom of God. And our children do not want to be in the kingdom of God. If we were to be taken in our sinful state and placed within that kingdom of God, we would do so kicking and screaming, trying to work our way back out of the kingdom of Jehovah God Himself. That's the old creature. One who is absent from God and who wants nothing to do with His kingdom. But the text doesn't leave us there. The text says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. How total, how complete, and how gracious is the transformation that takes place When God changes the old and makes the old new. What is the new man in Christ? Again, the baptism formula helps us understand. Except, it says in the first paragraph, except we are born again. That's the new creature in Jesus Christ. The one who has been given a new life. It's not an improvement upon that old man of sin. It doesn't fix or gradually change that old man so that the old man more and more becomes holy and righteous. But it is a new birth. A new creature, the text says. And that the word creature means literally creation. That which is created 
If any man is in Christ, he has been created again. There's new life inside of him. A new life that comes from the Spirit of Jesus Christ Himself. That's the confession of the believing child. I am a new creature. And then what describes this new creature in Jesus Christ? The baptism formula tells us He's been washed. He's been washed. He's been washed away from His sins. See here, the bottom of the first column, so that we are freed from all our sins and accounted righteous before God. That describes the new man. Freed from all our sins because of the work of Jesus Christ as high priest. So that as a new creation in Jesus Christ, I do not have to fear God. I am not worried about what God's verdict or judgment of me will be. But I am confident that I have been made to be righteous as I stand before God. Made righteous. And then, what describes the new man? I'm in a relationship. With God. In the middle of the paragraph, it starts secondly, God the Father witnesseth and sealeth unto us that he doth make an eternal covenant of grace with us and adopts us for his children and heirs. Whereas earlier, by nature, we were barred outside of the kingdom, God adopts us. And He takes us into His family, and He draws us into His kingdom, and He provides us with all things that are necessary for body as well as for soul. How amazing. To be a new creation in Christ. And then when the Christian understands this truth and by faith appropriates this truth for himself and says, yes, that's me. That describes me and what God has done for me. I am in Christ. Then it is inevitable that that Christian will want to bring forth works of gratitude Unto God. And so there is then the calling that this text sets before us. And the calling is let us live as new creatures in Jesus Christ. If any man is in Jesus Christ, and by faith you are in Jesus Christ, then let him be a new creation. And we may consider what this means then to live as a new creature of Jesus Christ from two different perspectives. First of all, there is the putting off of that old man of sin. Old things are passed away, the text tells us. And when it says there that old things, that is, are old man of sin is passed away, what it means is, in principle, that old man of sin is passed away. 
In principle means in beginning. The old man is passed away. It is not yet brought to completion that the old man is passed away. We all acknowledge that to be true. For we have yet within us that those sinful desires that rise up within us. We still have the lusts and the desires of the flesh which are contrary to the holy will of God. And so we understand and confess, beloved, that old things are passed away in principle. But we still must fight against that old man of sin. Do we put the old man away? What does this look like for us? It means, beloved, that we are to stop living unto ourselves. Verse 15, And that He died for all, that they which live should not, henceforth, from this point forward, live unto themselves, but unto Him which died for them and rose again. And there, Paul, by the inspiration of the Spirit, zooms in on what is the weakness of the old man. The old man seeks himself. Wants himself to be glorified, to be praised, to be accepted by others. Wants himself to be able to live a life of ease, of physical comfort, and of physical prosperity. Not that those earthly comforts are wrong if God is pleased to give them unto us, but the calling of God's Word is to stop living unto oneself. And then positively, the calling is live as a new creature. If any man be in Christ, let him be a new creature. Not just the putting off of the old man of sin, but than the putting on of the new man of Jesus Christ. Colossians puts it this way, Colossians 3, put on as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering. To live as a new man or a new woman in Jesus Christ is to live in daily union with Christ as my Lord and as my Savior. Remember what the name Christ means. It's a title. Speaking of His threefold office. And so to live in Jesus Christ means that I live in Jesus Christ as prophet. That I want to know God through Jesus Christ who reveals God unto me. To be in Jesus Christ means that I'm in the Word of God. That I seek 
to behold the glory of God as God reveals His glory unto us through the Holy Scriptures. To be in Jesus Christ is to be in Jesus Christ as priest who is the mediator for our sins. And so that means then that daily, as I live in relationship with Jesus Christ, that I confess my sins unto Him with the confidence that a broken and a contrite heart you will not despise. Live in union with Him means that I live in Jesus Christ as my King. And that it's not just begrudgingly that I submit myself to His rule, but I pray for His rule. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. And that more and more I seek to live in gratitude unto Him for creating me anew. But then there is specific application for us as parents as well in this text. This impacts, does it not, how we as parents view our children? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. And that is how we as parents are to view the children whom God in His pleasure is pleased to give unto us as new Creatures in Jesus Christ. Unless they would show otherwise when they grow up, we as parents have no reason to doubt but that these children who are given unto us are God's children. And as God's children, they are those who are in Jesus Christ. And so by faith, we as parents then view our children that way, that these are God's children who are in Jesus Christ, altogether apart from me doing anything as a parent. God the Holy Spirit is already at work in the heart of my little child, and God through the Holy Spirit has quickened the heart of this child so that this child is in Jesus Christ. And that takes strength, beloved, to view your children that way. You see, the devil would try to pull us as parents to either of two extremes. Either on the one hand, the devil would have us view our children as those who are wicked, as those who are rebellious, and thus as those who are heathens, pagans. And thus, it depends on us. There's this burden that's placed upon us as parents that we have to be the ones who will convert, who will turn the hearts of our children. And if we as parents don't convert our children, well then we're hopeless. And all we can do is go to bed at night with tears rolling down our cheeks because we failed as parents to convert our children. 
That's the one way that the devil would have us view our children. They're heathen. But the other extreme that the devil seeks to pull us into is the extreme of failing to see the real sins and weaknesses in our own children. Being so impressed with what our children have done. It can happen so easily where a child does something, an act of kindness to us, and it so warms our hearts and touches our souls as parents. But then all we can do is conceive of this child as being nearly angelic. And then the teacher calls and tells us about misbehavior of our child. And immediately we are prone to misbelieve the teacher. Because my child would never do that. John says, 1 John 1, verse 8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And he uses the plural there, plural, we, we and our children. If we say that our children have no sins, we deceive ourselves. We are to view our children as new creatures in Jesus Christ, who have a small beginning of that new obedience, but who must daily struggle against that old man of sin. And then the second application for us as parents, it impacts not just how we view our children, but it impacts how we rear our children. What is the goal in rearing up our children? The goal of rearing up the children that God has given unto us is this, that they might become mature Christians who live in knowledgeable gratitude to God for what He has done for them. That's the goal of rearing up children. Rearing them up so that they might live in knowledgeable gratitude unto God for what He has done for them. We as parents understand that we are dependent, so dependent upon the operations of the Holy Spirit within the hearts of our children. And yet, we understand as well that God is a God of means. God uses means to accomplish His good pleasure. Not the same as conditions, but means. And the single most powerful influence upon the shaping and directing of your children is you, the parent. God is pleased to use you as a parent to be the means by which this child is nurtured and brought up in the fear and knowledge of Jehovah God. And so, although we understand that we as parents cannot 
take our child and place that child in Jesus Christ. Only the Holy Spirit can place that child in union with Jesus Christ. Yet, we understand that because of our sins, we could well be the ones who would discourage the child from living in Christ. If we as parents do not lead by our own example of what it means to live in Christ, then when our children come to years of discretion, they will not want to live in Christ. Parents, where do you live? With your head in cell phone, tablet, television screen, computer? With your head in work? And so busy in work that you have no time for your children? Or are you in Christ? In the church? With your head in the Bible? With your head bowed down in prayer? Seeking the Mediator who alone is able to cover your sins. We lead by our example of living in Christ. The amazing wonder of this text, beloved, is that all things are become new. Behold, the writer says, behold, all things are become New. The wonder of God's grace is that He sovereignly, efficaciously, and graciously takes us who were old and by nature dead, and He recreates us so that we are born again and are new creatures in Jesus Christ. By nature, we would want nothing to do with being in Jesus Christ. We noted from the baptism formula how we are outside of the kingdom and by nature we are happy to be outside of the kingdom. We would go, as it were, kicking and screaming into the kingdom if we were forced against our nature. And yet God the Holy Spirit powerfully and sweetly bends the will of His children so that they desire to live within the kingdom and seek to live in Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. Behold, all things are become new. The Apostle here gives unto us this truth not so much for our comprehension as much for our adoration. 
This is a truth that goes beyond what our earthly minds are capable of understanding. That all things are become new and that we live in Jesus Christ. It is a mystery. And yet, the Holy Spirit presents it unto us for our adoration. How amazing and how wonderful is this truth that God takes believing parents and their seed and places them in Jesus Christ. What comfort this is to us as parents that God does this work. Behold, what God has done for you. The salvation of your children does not depend on you, but God is the one who makes all things new. What needless pain, fear, and worry we have because we, stand, we fail to stand still and behold as God makes all things new. And so I beseech you as parents to take note of the instruction of this text and to behold God at work. Behold God as He regenerates and quickens the hearts of His children. Behold God as He unites His children unto Himself. Behold God as He transforms His own into the glorious image of Christ. Behold God as He creates and then recreates, preserves in salvation, until at last He glorifies when He takes us with our children to be in heaven with Him. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, we thank Thee that Thou hast reconciled the world unto Thyself, not imputing unto us our trespasses, but Thou hast given unto us the word of reconciliation. Wilt Thou bless us as parents that we might be faithful to our baptism vows. Wilt Thou fill us with Thy Holy Spirit and forgive whatever was done or said in sin. For Jesus' sake, Amen.